Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I am your host, Jesse Neeland, and today I have with me Amy Gartenberg, who is a queer identifying psychotherapist and therapeutic coach. And we connected over Instagram about all things gender, queerness, anti-diet work, and embodiment. So I'm really excited to have her on here. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, So I'm going to have you start with the basics and tell me a little bit about your own story and kind of how you came to do what you do now. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm a therapist and coach. Um, I'm located in Nashville, Tennessee right now. And in terms of my own story and kind of what led me here is um, I really think so much of my healing started when I started to really get serious about intuitive eating and looking at the way I was using movement and um, started to heal that relationship with my body essentially. And when I did that work at the time I was living out in California, I was dating someone, a guy that I had been dating for a long time. Um, We were taking steps towards getting married. I had this gut feeling that wasn't going to be right for me. Um, All these things. And it, and also I was like over living in LA anyway. And it kind of, when I started intuitive eating, when I started healing my relationship with my body, it almost was just like, it unlocked this thing of me inside of me. And it kind of became like a trail of breadcrumbs of if I was listening to my hunger, if I was listening to my body, um, I could hear not just my body hunger cues, but my soul hunger cues. And I could hear things like um, not wanting to be in this relationship or not Mm. wanting to live in California. I could hear it more clearly. And um, yeah, so that kind of like one thing kind of just led to another of that's the place where a lot of my healing began, but then that led into me like becoming more comfortable with my sexuality, um, taking a leap of faith in moving, uh, starting my own private practice, all of these things that to me really started in that place. Yeah. I think that's very common that it gets kickstarted through, I don't know. I just had a, another person on my podcast and we talked about how it got kickstarted through fitness for, for both of us through movement. And I feel like it's very similar that you're like, oh, I'm listening to something in me. And all of a sudden there's a lot in there that I didn't know about. And you start to tune in more and then you get more information. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a really cool story that it came through connecting first and then everything else was a cascade after. Yeah. And that's, I think when I first started in at least the coaching space, I was doing more intuitive eating coaching because to me that that was the catalyst. And I think like once it became clear of like, oh, this is just the catalyst. And then all, I gave myself so much more permission to do so many other things in my life that that's where my passion, my work led as well. It doesn't need to be just focused on body, body image. A lot of, for a lot of people, it starts there but um, granting ourselves freedom in other areas of our lives as well. Yeah. Okay. So in our first conversation, um, you mentioned that a lot of the work you do as a therapist and a coach is around self-abandonment, which is a term that like almost immediately made me want to cry when I heard it. Um, So I'd love, because I want to talk about that for you to start us off with a definition of self-abandonment. Yeah. So self-abandonment, the way I define it in my work is when we consistently prioritize the needs, values, and desires of other people over our our own to the Mm -hmm. point where it's it's hard to even hear our own interests, um, connect with our own internal voices because we've been prioritizing what the world wants from us or what a partner wants from us etc. for so long that there's just that disconnection with yeah. ourselves. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like it's very adjacent or I could see some confusion around like caring about other people and just being like a good partner and friend and all those things versus self-abandonment. So what I hear in this is it's like the default or maybe it's done unconsciously rather than like intentionally, like how would you define the difference between just showing up for people and being a good person and, and friend and partner and actual self-abandonment? 
I love that question. That's, I mean, that's so real because <laughs> the people that are generally really attracted to my kind of work are people that are really empathetic and like love giving and yeah. you know, want to show up in that way. And I think there's some kind of boundary that happens where it's like you give until you've given yourself away. And I think part of it is getting clear on where is that boundary. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's super interesting. I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So give me some examples in like how you see self-abandonment showing up in clients or in yourself. Like what, what does it look like or what can it look like? Oh, it can look all sorts of ways. I'm going to give you different examples because, um, as we, we talked about before in my mind, there, there are a few different reasons people tend to self-abandon. So because of that, it can look different ways. So um, one way people can self-abandon is just like, even if they have a knowing, let's say they have a knowing over like, this is not the partnership for me. I don't want to be dating this person. It can be a really quiet knowing, just something feels off. I've been in this a long time or I've been in a short amount of time. And it's like, you don't want to listen to that. Like, it's just like, no, that would, that would be so hard to do that, to change that. I'm just going to abandon that need or desire. Mm. And that can be, can be because it's really hard and scary to do that. It could be coming from external pressures. Sometimes it's tied into privilege as well. Like if you're dependent on that person financially, um, sure. right. There, there's a lot that comes up around making that sort of change. So it can be something like that, where it's like a very concrete, I want to make this change. I'm not going to listen to myself about this change. Um, <laughs> I see that quite often. Um, there's also, I mean, it, I see it a lot. I love working with the queer community. That's my community. And um, a lot of times in someone's like initial sort of coming out journey, it can happen there. It can be like a suppression of even knowing your own sexuality or mm. your own gender identity. Um, and then maybe you have the knowing, but you're not ready to share yeah. it with people. And again, it's like, it's so super nuanced and I really invite people to have a lot of compassion for themselves in this work because of the privilege. You know, yeah. it's like if you are going, depending on where you live, depending on your family system, all of those things, if you come out as some beautiful flavor of queer or gender expansive, you might lose some of that privilege that you have, whether with your family or within the culture that you're living in. So, it can look so many different ways. Yeah. And regardless of the way that it looks, I always invite people to have a lot of compassion for themselves because there's a reason that you're self-abandoning. Like, yeah. It makes sense. We do it for a reason. I love that. I know that in my experience, I would often have a conscious-ish <laughs> sense that I was self-abandoning. Like I don't think I want to be with this person anymore, but I can't think that. I can't think about that. And then a lot of it would be back and forth between my brain and my heart. Like my brain would be like, you dummy, of course you do. Like, look at all these facts on paper. Mm -hmm. And my heart would be like, yeah, I guess, you know, like <laughs> it would be a little bit like I would try really hard not to think about it, but there would be some knowing under some circumstances. And then there's other times where I think looking back, I had no conscious clue until I suddenly did. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so experience, do you think that it is like self-abandonment covers that whole wide range or is it only once some part of you knows and you're like pushing that part of you down or talking back to it? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it's both. Mm. I think we self-abandon on an unconscious level all the time because of like our conditioning and our programming, you know, like I'm sure, I'm sure there's a million ways I'm self-abandoning right. in this moment because it's like, I, I approach it from like a really psycho-spiritual sort of place of like the essence of my soul and what my soul desires has like all these layers of my cultural conditioning mm -hmm. on top of it. So, so much of what we're doing is we're unlearning and we're taking away those layers and taking it off and maybe things become clearer. 
And then as things become clear, you might be conscious of the fact that you are self-abandoning and still make that choice. Right. Like that's kind of the, that's why I think it's both. Sometimes we're doing it. We don't even know we're doing it and we might become aware and we're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm going to make a different choice or we might become aware and still make the choice to self-abandon. Yeah. So I feel like the relationship example is just a really clear one to me. It makes a lot of sense. I've had a lot of experience of that. I feel like there have been times where, you know, especially when I was younger in relationship where I didn't believe I was allowed to be like needy or emotional or have demands or expectations or whatever it was. And so I didn't voice them. And then, you know, I was unhappy, obviously, (laughs) that's the end result of that. Uh, but I feel like once I started recognizing that I was allowed to do those things, the self-abandonment took on a different quality because then it was like sort of accompanied with maybe shame or guilt. Cause I was like, I'm not getting my needs met, even though I'm asking for them. Why am I staying like totally different experiences? I think, but I would, I, I can see absolutely how both of them were fundamentally me abandoning me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're in that place of like not knowing, I believe there's still a small part of us that knows. Mm, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Like maybe even if it's like unconscious, I just, Mm -hmm. I believe that there is a part of us that knows. Um, It's that thing like that maybe when you see it outside of yourself, like something in you pings. Like I can remember like before I knew I was gay, like um like seeing a a gay couple like two women and just like having a ping of like maybe some kind of longing or recognition or something and just being like I don't know why that happened like yeah you know like okay like weird you know and so and I wouldn't really believe that honestly but to me it's like but there was something right there was something in there Yeah. I love that word ping for that feeling. That is really what it feels like. I also often see with clients like uh, the, especially with like somebody who's struggling with body insecurity, that the the people they compare themselves or hyper-focus on or obsess over or feel jealous of or whatever, it's often because there was a ping somewhere in there, right? It's not just like, oh, they're conventionally attractive and I want that. I mean, sometimes totally that's the thing, but a lot of times it's like the response to a ping And then they Mm -hmm. kind of shuffle that into, I know for me, I mean, I was, I've always been bisexual, but before I knew any of that, it's like the ones I would be most jealous of and like go down little stocky rabbit holes on Instagram being like, you know, like who, who does she think she is looking so hot? You know, like I I would have Uh all these things that I was like, oh, I'm just jealous because I want to look like that. And later was like, oh, I just thought she was hot. (laughs) That's it. That's all it is. And it came with that big feeling, that ping. But I was like, my brain was like, override, override. Turn this into something we can understand. You're jealous. I think when someone's in that process, exactly what you're describing of like, am I jealous of what you have? Or like, do I just find you very attractive? Yeah. You know, and reclaiming that honestly, too. It's so calming. Like it was liberating at first, but now I just find it very peaceful to be like, this is desire. That's all. Like, I just, I want you. You're, you're so attractive. I would love to be closer to you. And also like, that's okay. That, that feeling, even if it's a little uncomfortable, cause it's not requited or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's like, I can just hold that now instead of being like, what do I do about this? Should I change how I eat or dress or, you know, whatever. It's like, it takes a lot of the messiness out of it now. Yeah. That's like, Oh my gosh. I'm going to just like use that word desire because to me, that's what it is. It's just healing self-abandonment is about following the breadcrumbs of our desire. Ooh, I love that. Okay. Um, so you had mentioned to me and I wanted to get you, uh, to sort of go through these, that there are four major reasons why people abandon themselves. And I'd mm-hmm. love to have you go through them, like name them and talk a little bit about each, each what, what they are. Yeah. Okay. So the first reason that I really see people self-abandon has to do with safety. And that is usually coming from a learned experience from when you you were young, some kind of learning or messaging you got from when you were young. So an example for this might be like, if you had, um, if you had a family member with an addiction or um, medical needs, or um, you just happened 
to, to fall into that family role of the peacekeeper, right? I see a lot for mil- middle mm. children. Um, then you kind of learn like my needs don't matter. It's not safe for me to mm-hmm. have needs in this family structure. Um, like I get my my love and all that from not having needs. Mm. So that kind of comes from a sense of safety of needing the safety of the family structure and how do I fit into the family structure? So that's one way. The other way I, I kind of combine it. That's my like two slash three has to yeah. do with um, a feeling of belonging. And I put in with that, like the third reason is privilege and access. So if we can separate them out, when I think about belonging specifically, um, it's this idea of like, I want, I want to fit in. I want to feel that connection as humans were wired for belonging and connection. Like that's how we survive. So what do I need to do, be, act so that I gain that belonging? And the example I use here a lot is like, if you were a really creative, funky kid, and like maybe you dressed um, in a very creative, fun way, and your your peers either maybe like overtly teased you, or you could you could pick up on some subtle cueing because kids are super intuitive. Yeah, that they were judging you for this, and then you abandon that, and you're just going to dress in this normal, boring way. So, like that's an example of maybe just for a kid um, wanting to get that belonging. And then the way that um, privilege and access ties into that has to do with the same desire for belonging, right? And, And access and privilege are versions of belonging and connection. Mm. Um, And so oftentimes I see that show up with the sexuality example we've been using. I also see it show up a lot in body image work because I I think dieting, diet culture is an extension of self-abandonment. It's like, how can I make my body smaller, um, more like culturally okay, so that I can have some of the thin privilege that yeah, our yeah. society has, you know? So I see it show up quite a bit there too. And then the other one that's like really near and dear to my heart is this idea of being human is a fluid experience. And I think one of the reasons people tend to self-abandon, the fourth reason is because it's like a denial of what it means to be human. It's a denial of that fluidity and that of course that ties into safety if we like allow this to be a fluid experience we we lose some certainty and some safety but this idea that like okay I'm going to have my box of like Mm. who I am and what I do and this is my wife and like all these things we can feel very constricted by that and there's safety in that. We we yeah. want the security. We want that. But what it means to be human is to allow ourselves to expand and evolve and all of that. And so there's a denial of that sometimes that can lead to self-abandonment. That one was really interesting because I can imagine like instead of abandoning something like I don't think this is right for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. It could be this was right for me at a time, and now I don't want to leave it, so I'm going to stay. Like that one feels the most uh, interesting to me to imagine the the moments where like you actually got into it maybe from a place of like real self-affirmation, and as things changed, as you changed, you hold on to, but this is the container I picked, but this is who I am, you know, it's like the attachment we have to old versions of ourselves that keeps us from, like you said, I guess, evolving and expressing that new, the new you. Yeah. I mean, it's like, when you say that, what comes to mind is that feeling that sometimes people get, I get it, of nostalgia, looking at old pictures Mm. or something, right? It's that like, oh, like that version of me did exist. And I hate this idea of like, I don't know, maybe hate's a strong word, but like the idea of like pursuing your authentic self. I just think they're all expressions of our authentic selves. Ooh, I like that, yeah. 
And, and so like allowing ourselves to move into the next version and the next version, you know, yeah. rather than it being this place we arrive to. And it's like, that's it. Cross this finish line. We're good. Yeah. Okay. So for people listening, that was safety, mm-hmm. connection and belonging, access and privilege. And the last one is rejecting the flowy evolution of time and life. Yeah. Like, okay. like resistance to fluidity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still working on that one. I've also heard you describe that one as grief, which I think is definitely wrapped up in that experience, but also a little bit separate, right? Like grief is the work required mm-hmm. to stop resisting that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, you don't want to put, let, let yourself go through that grief. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the some of the initial stages of grief is like the bargaining and the denial. And then we move into like anger and sadness. And of course, grief isn't linear, but I think what happens sometimes in that like denial of fluidity is we get really hung up in the, the denial, the bargaining, because we're, there's a resistance to feeling the Mm -hmm. sadness, the anger, all of that. Yeah. To letting go. That makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So two major sources of self-abandonment for people nowadays, that is so relevant to both of us, um, mm-hmm. are dieting and gender and sexuality. So I wanted to start us off with dieting. Tell me how dieting leads to self-abandonment and also how self-abandonment leads to dieting if they are different. Ooh, I love that. I think I think about it like this dieting leading to self-abandonment. But I said earlier, and it's true, it's like, I think that um, dieting is an expression of Mm. self-abandonment. And the way that I see that, I say often, like the denial of body hunger cues is going to lead to the denial of soul hunger cues. And I say that I use a lot of somatics in my work, meaning like we are connecting with the body to hear what's happening. I, I believe that the body can help us process emotions all of that stuff. So if you turn off the part of you that is cued into your hunger, which is like basic bodily messaging, then you're turning off a lot, a lot more knowledge, a lot more intuitive knowledge. So it's like, you can't just be like, I'm going to turn off just my hunger, but like, I still want to really know myself and have this intuition. I think generally it's the same switch. So dieting is an expansion of self-abandonment. I think it can further self-abandonment. And again, that's coming from my own experience too, of when I started healing dieting, when I stopped dieting, it was like so much stuff clicked into place. Yeah. It kind of supports self-abandonment. It's like sort of a weird way to put it, but like if your intention is to abandon yourself, dieting is only going to help you. Yeah. You know, like if you have shit you want kept out of your head because you don't want to hear it and you don't want to know it, dieting is going to effectively allow you to repress that easier. Yeah. And like we had spoken about, it's like, you get that choice. You get that choice, you know? Yeah, totally. um, I think that's very aligned with like your work and your messaging of like, you you have total bodily autonomy. And I tell that to people all the time. It's like, it's not what I think, it's what you think. But like, can we separate out like what you want versus like all this cultural conditioning? Like, can we get clear on actually what feels good to you? Um, And again, like there's so much privilege wrapped in this conversation because if you're someone whose body size limits access to certain things right then it's like yeah there's an element of like well fuck you like don't don't tell me not to change this because who are who are you to tell anyone else that they shouldn't pursue the privilege that they want and obviously the bigger issue is cultural. It's not that anything is wrong with this person's body. It's a bigger cultural issue, but still at the end of the day, that person gets to make the choice of what they want. Yeah. And I also believe in full body autonomy, very, very aligned in that way. And I will often hear from clients like, is it okay if I 
do whatever. And often they are referring to the same acts that either used to be self-abandonment for them or, you know, it's like, uh, is it okay if I get a facelift or is it okay if I want to wear heels and makeup and all this femme stuff? Like there are no body neutral behaviors or choices, none. There is only the work of stripping those behaviors and choices of the power and meaning that you have placed on them so that it's not like, okay, I'm going to get a facelift because that will make me a better person and more worthy of love. It's I'm going to get a facelift because I want this career to last a long time. And I know that I, I work in an environment where that will benefit me. Mm -hmm. And so autonomy in that space, I feel like you're, you're really not exercising autonomy if you're doing it from a place of like obligation or shame. Yeah. So autonomy is what we want everyone to have. And then what you do with that is like, literally whatever you want. Yeah. It's like, I, I wish for everyone that like you make choices. It's the breadcrumbs of desire thing. Like you follow your desire. And I think it's really important to have an aware, awareness around like why we're making the decisions that we're making, you know, because that gives people, it's like having informed consent, right? It's like you, at that point, you are able to make an informed decision. And until then, when it's like, I just have to do this or else no one will love me or something, that's really not, I guess I don't think of that as informed consent, right? I think of that as like, I don't know, coercion. Yes, exactly. That's what I mean. Of like, you, can we get curious about why you're making that choice? Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me about soul hunger, because I think it's a great term. And I'd like to hear what you mean by that. And uh, yeah, talk a little bit more about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, your desire, you know, that's what I mean. I mean, like if everything was neutral, if everything was neutral, there wasn't like things that had more privilege or less privilege in this world. If nothing was viewed as good or bad, like what do you want? What do you genuinely want? What do you want someone to give you permission to do, you know? that's what I mean. And again, if I approach it from that psycho-spiritual sort of lens of, I believe like there's an essence to all of us and we have all this conditioning layered upon it. So to me, soul hunger has to do with the pure desire that is in that essence of who you are. Yeah. So as a person is denying physical hunger while they're dieting or trying to lose weight or whatever. They're also denying soul hunger, which essentially means just insight into what they want, which explains why so many people struggling with body image have no idea what they want, have no mm -hmm. real sense beyond, I want to earn this thing. I want to like reach a certain status. I want to reach a certain goal. Um, and then I think I, on the other side, often they're hoping that they get the permission for the the secret thing that they're like soul hungry for. Yeah. I mean, that's like so often, I'm sure you encounter this in your work of like, okay, what do you think that losing weight, being in a smaller body is going to give you? What is mm -hmm. it that you're really after? And again, like keeping in mind, we live there, there's oppression at play. Like we live in a country, in a culture where if you're in a certain body size, there are things that are inaccessible. So I just yeah. like want to nuance that and asterisk that. And oftentimes people that are in bodies where they're still going to have all this access, they have a story tied in to what they believe a smaller body is going to get them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting sometimes to even like ask, especially with a new client, if I ask, what do you hope or imagine or expect would be different in your life on the other side of having this body that you want, it's often really, really hard to put into words. And I think this is exactly why, because they are focused on the journey to get permission and not focused on what that permission is for. And so it's very easy to get led astray in all that. There's a lot of like you know, little exits you take on that journey. Uh, and you can get really, really wrapped up in the details, but ultimately 
I'd say a lot of folks who struggle in this way really don't have a good grip on what they're hoping for because that's not really been invited in themselves as a conversation. Yeah. What do you want on the other side? What do you crave? What do you need? Yeah. And usually like that's what's tied into what they think weight loss is going to get them. Mm -hmm. When I lose weight, like I'm going to fall in love. I'm going to be able to wear this thing. I'm going to like finally have confidence to go after this career. Yeah. And so I think so much of body image work is the unintertwining of those things. And then pursuing those things now, the body you have right now. So what is the relationship with our just, everybody has needs and desires. How does our relationship to our needs and desires play into self-abandonment? How does our relationship to our needs and like desires? Like our thoughts about ourselves, or, or rather our beliefs or our feelings about our needs and desires. Like clearly there is something at play there that says you're not allowed to express these things. Mm-hmm. And I just imagine like, there are so many reasons why that would be, but I'm curious what you see as patterns in that space. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends with like your sensitivity as a person. I think, Mm -hmm. um, I think highly intuitive people are more prone to eating disorders, disordered eating, falling into diets. Yeah. Um, because generally they've picked up on something isn't okay. It's not okay for me to exist as the way that I am. Um, And so, yeah, again, I think I said earlier, like I think the kids are just highly intuitive and we pick up on a lot of messaging, whether it's overt or subtle around what's okay and what's not okay. And, um, you know, like thinness is shoved down our throats, whiteness is shoved down our throats, um, heteronormativity, like cis normativity, all of those yeah. things are shoved down our throats. And so um, I think it depends on how susceptible you are to that as a kid. And I think it depends on maybe what other representation you had available to you. Totally. I know that for me, one thing that was a big source of shame when I was younger, having been conditioned as a girl and patriarchy and everything was how much attention I wanted. And I was like a second kid, you know, my brother's 18 months above me. So I just, I feel like I had like an endless pit kind of feeling like for attention. And then, you know, I went into theater and there was like a lot of ways that I dealt with that. But um, when I look back, I remember how shameful it felt to want those things. And so a lot of my self-abandonment was about trying to make myself like um, palatable or, you know, I, I actually feel like I thought if I ever really expressed this desire fully, like the world would collapse or something, you know, like there was that big of a feeling like this, this is dangerous how much I, I crave here. And absolutely that led to self-abandonment in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And like some of, some of our perceived danger is very real. Like, like yeah. we, we, were, we worry something's going to happen. We have reason to think it might happen. It, it could happen. And then sometimes we really spin out these things in our heads, you yeah. know, like, um, so like a self-abandonment example I've been using recently is so I'm getting married at the end, the end of the month. And um, what I had originally picked out to wear, I like thought I wanted to wear, I was very comfortable in. And as I've been exploring my gender more and my gender identity has been shifting, it got to this place of, um, I was not comfortable wearing that anymore. And I was just stuck in this like, I know I'm self-abandoning. I'm going to do it anyway. Like yeah. I, the money was already spent on this outfit. Like this is what people are expecting me to wear. Mm. Like I was really worried what um, my mom in particular was going to think if I decided to wear something else. Anyway, so I spun out on that for a while. I was very firm and like, Amy, like you're going to just suck it up and wear this <laughs> thing. And to the point where like, I can, I can feel myself when it's like this, is not self-abandonment is 
not a supportive choice anymore. I could feel myself getting sick over this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. Like, so I decided to change what I was going to wear. And I bought a suit that I'm really excited about. And yeah. I had all this anxiety around telling my mom. And she was like, okay, okay. You should be, <laughs> you should be comfortable in what you're wearing, yeah. you know? And I know, like, I'm so grateful to have that experience. I know not everyone has that experience. And it's like, I hyped this whole thing up in my head, Yeah, you know? And it was like, so often what we make in our minds is really bigger than what it's going to be. Yeah. When I think about who I was afraid of endangering with all of like my needs back then, it's like a middle school boy. You know what I mean? It's like, I was afraid of like a middle school boy rejecting me and making me feel like an idiot. Like that was my big, and obviously that's not, that's not really what I was thinking about, but it's like, that's where it came from. I was not actually afraid of an adult being like, Uh I reject this because I would be like, oh, you don't seem like someone I need in my life then, you know, but it was Uh just that feeling that catastrophic, like early teen feeling of, but what if he says I'm, you know, what if he says something horrible to me? Oh my God. I'm just like, okay. When I hear that, I'm like, if I am, what a great lit, litmus test. Cause it's like, <laughs> if I am going through my life trying to please a middle school child, like, yeah. you know, like, no, something yeah. is off. Right. Like that's absolutely none of us are, are our best selves in middle school. So that's not who absolutely I'm to please. Um, Okay, so let's shift over to the other big self abandonment topic, which is gender and sexuality, queerness. Obviously, if anybody listens to my podcast, they know this is one of my very favorite topics, both because it interacts uh, a lot with my work and our relationship with our bodies, and also because it's just been like such a liberating and exciting journey for me personally. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you see self-abandonment coming up around gender identity and sexuality? Or you can tell, tell the story in your own first person if you'd like, but just thoughts on that, that relationship. Yeah, I feel like I've dipped more into that side in this conversation right now. So um I guess it's hard for me to stay out of that because I see it, I see it in myself and my own journey. I see it in my work. Um I think a lot of it has to do with um privilege and access and just wanting that belonging, like in that and that safety. It's all of those things. Yeah. Um mm, I'm just kind of collecting my thoughts because I think it's a lot. I think there's the point of not knowing it in ourselves because we're fed so much heteronormativity that a lot of people don't even know that for themselves. Um, I think queerness is a superpower because it means that you're able to hear yourself in a way that maybe other people can't. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people make the choice to self-abandon when it comes to their gender or sexual identity because of needing that belonging and safety, yeah. access, all the things. Um, and I just like, I wanna, I wanna give people permission to know that about themselves on whatever level they, feel comfortable knowing that like to be gay doesn't mean you have to come out to anyone you know sometimes it can just be your internal knowing or um if you identify as trans or non-binary um and you don't feel safe to come out in that um are there ways that you can honor that at home can you have a partner call you certain pronouns or can you wear certain things or can you just practice knowing trying on certain pronouns for yourself Mm -hmm. that I think there's ways to start to tiptoe and explore in that in a way that feels very much safer sometimes for people they're worried about that I would say this applies to every area of self-abandonment because I've worked with so many people in so many different topics where like in a coaching session something comes up and you can just tell it's like you can watch them almost push the thought away. You know, they're like, oh, don't want to go there. And uh, I always tell people that knowing it and naming it does not mean you have to take action. In fact, you never have to take action. You can Mm -hmm. know and name something to me like, I don't want to be with my husband anymore. And you never have to change this, right? Like, and you need that in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Oh, I might be non-binary, but you're not going to let yourself name that if you feel like that means you immediately have to go change your life or blow your life up, right? Like, yeah. 
That is such an important part of the process is recognizing that you can safely know it and name it to yourself. And that does not mandate anything. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like you still get to make the choice to be exactly where you are. Yeah. You know, knowing it and naming it. I love that language. Different thing or knowing it and naming it are different than having to take action. Yeah. And I also see it come up with like the denial of fluidity is sometimes people feel like I don't want to come out as um, bi because I'm making this up. Like, I, like yeah. I don't want to come out as bi or whatever, because like, maybe I'm actually mm-hmm. a lesbian or I'm gay, you know, like this idea of like, I can't publicly have my fluid process. Yeah. Like I have to have all the answers now before I do a big reveal. And then I'm stuck with that forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And pronouns are like so interesting with this because one, like I think I love the practice of of sharing pronouns as an inclusion practice. Um, And like, I always want to give people permission not to share your pronouns. You know, like maybe you don't feel comfortable. Maybe it's like, the pronouns that you're supposed to share feel dishonest and you don't want to be dishonest. Like you don't have to do that. You know, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> um, I think if you feel safe and comfortable to like beautiful and you don't have to, yeah. And they get to change. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a lot about privilege. So I'm curious in your own journey with gender and queerness was privilege and access, like one of the main reasons that you did not or that you were sort of self-abandoning in that place? Like, is that something that resonates for you personally? Uh, I think for me, it had more to do with like belonging. Mm-hmm. Like I was worried just like about uh, feeling like I didn't belong in my family or like they would have opinions or thoughts on it. I think the reason privilege is like so big in my mind is just like I live in Tennessee and there's just a lot wow. of, and just in general, especially yeah. in Tennessee right now, there's a lot of really hate, hateful legislation happening, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I just, I feel this deep sensitivity around it because it's like, I think it's easy to slip into the narrative of like, be your authentic self, like all this stuff. And it's like, right. Well, what, what is someone afraid that's going to cost them? Mm -hmm. And can we be really sensitive around that? And I think that shows up in body image work too. It's like, Mm, like, are we talking about body image right now? Or are we talking about oppression? Mm-hmm. Because you can heal the way you feel about your body. And you might still be living in a system that is hateful towards your body. 100%. And vice versa, you can become an activist and fight for justice for people with bodies like yours and still not like it like these things, mm-hmm. how you feel about your own body and your relationship to the oppression, like, not that they're unrelated, but they really are two completely different things. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm asking that because I'm, yeah, I mean, I think people maybe more like center, I don't want to say Republican, but I think maybe more center mm-hmm. veering towards Republican people would be shocked to hear this in some way, because I think there is a perception that like, we woo-woo leftists or whatever, you know, that we're like, everybody be yourselves. And like, you know what I mean? Like there's, and, and even within like, honestly, coaching communities and and that kind of space, there is that message of like, be yourself at all costs. And it really doesn't consider the nuance of the situation. It doesn't consider layers of privilege and oppression and intersecting identities. Like it really doesn't. And I think it's so almost like it shouldn't be, but it's almost revolutionary to say, like you don't have to be your authentic self and there's nothing shameful about that either mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because sometimes that's just practical mm-hmm. or safe mm-hmm. yeah and it's like I mean I I know you're getting it I, I hope your audience is getting it is like that like yeah. I don't want to like force anybody into a box they don't want to be in like of course, course. Yeah. I I want to live in a world where everyone feels safe enough to be mm-hmm. their most authentic self always and I, I think if someone does not feel safe to do that, that's really important to acknowledge. Yeah. And are there ways that we can play where you do feel safe? You know, yeah. are there people you feel safe coming out to or trying different things on with? Yeah. You know, I think that's why if you hold any 
marginalized identity, it's so nourishing to be in community with people that share that identity. Yeah, absolutely. So for me personally, it was extremely scary and stressful to come out as queer, trans, and non-binary and to change my pronouns first to she slash they, and then to they slash them. And it really wasn't like I was afraid of violence or discrimination or anything. It really wasn't about privilege. Honestly, it was like, I didn't want to be quote unquote difficult. You know, like I, I, I felt like on some level to make everyone in my life do all of this extra labor of like learning what it all means and reprocessing their understanding of me and, you know, remembering new pronouns that it was like, I think I was afraid if I made people do that, they would just decide I wasn't worth it. Like, I think it was, a, it was about abandonment in that space, uh, like fear of abandonment from others versus from myself. And obviously we can call that shame, right? Like that feeling of this part of who I am, this authentic part of who I am that I'm getting to know would cost me relationships and connection and belonging in a way that isn't privileged based, but is very much like super scary, shamey based. Yeah. I think that that's like the, the desire for belonging and connection. I mean, like that's the feeling of like, if I do this thing, am I going to lose belonging and connection? Yeah. I think the same was true for me, yeah. you know, like that's, yeah, that's a, a big part of, that was a big part of my fear is yeah. am I going to lose belonging and connection? Even like with the decision around what I was going to wear for my wedding, mm-hmm. it's a similar thing of like, yeah, get that. are people going to be mad at me? Like, what are they going to think? Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't going to lose any privilege because of that. I was going to yeah, maybe like, like you said, like quote unquote, be difficult. Right? Yeah. And I was worried what people would think. So what would you say the relationship between shame and self-abandonment is? Are they always linked? relationship between shame and self-abandonment I guess they don't have to always be linked because you could make a conscious choice without feeling shame mm-hmm. to self-abandon mm-hmm. I mean I'm just thinking about that I, like I think about the Brene Brown stuff around like shame exists in the dark right and yeah I'm not I'm not a huge Brene Brown person I'm not I don't focus a lot of my work in shame either. Mm. Um, but I do think there's truth to that around we hold these things. I think shame has to do a lot with like the stories that we make up internally around why this yeah. thing is bad or wrong or difficult. And then when we share it, the, sh- the shame can dissipate because it can only exist as a secret. Yeah. So being met with belonging, acceptance, whatever, empathy, when you share something that you were so sure you were going to be abandoned for, obviously that releases shame. And I feel like a lot of self-abandonment healing work looks Mm. very similar. Yes. You know, like I was way more stressed out before I came out to people than after, you know, like it wasn't so much what happened. It was the leading up to it. Yes, that's exactly right. Like that's, yeah. that's the shame. That's the secrecy, you yeah. know, like what's happening inside. And then when we tell someone where we feel that acceptance and belonging, it's like, oh, that shame can't exist in that yeah. space. And I wasn't always met with acceptance and belonging. Some, some of it was, you know, not great, but like, I definitely feel that it it wasn't shamey anymore. At that point, I was just mad at whoever was like <laughs> handling yeah. it badly. You know, it had a totally yeah. different feel. Um, okay, so we've covered a lot about self-abandonment. I would like to hear your thoughts on the opposite of self-abandonment. What is the opposite? Hmm. I think living in alignment with your desires. Um, again, I'm going to stay away from that, like pursuing our authentic selves, but um I think like being present, being embodied and connected with your desires. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I totally hear where you're coming with, from with the word authenticity here. And also like, I can't think of a much better word for it. You know, I kind of wish there was to be like, well, what is that? It's authenticity, but, but, but what else can we call it? Um, yeah, no, so I much. like, I'm with, I'm so with, you. Yeah. like, I'm like, Hmm. Cause yeah, like I do, I do use the word authenticity. Like what a beautiful word. I think what I'm trying to stay away from is this idea of like authentic self as a finish line you know, oh, like that does not, yeah. that does not exist, you know? And so even if the, the other side of self-abandonment is authenticity, it's living in motion with that. It's not like I right. have arrived. Totally. Okay. Sense? It really does. Yeah. Because okay. it's that big element of, of allowing and not resisting the flow and evolution of it all right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it has to be in motion or else it is automatically going to bring you right back in to the abandonment Mm -hmm. space. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I had, I shared, I might've shared this story with you. I had this story about myself, like for a long time that I was really this flighty, like non-committal person. And, um, I had this moment with a friend, um, where I realized like that was like some bullshit I had been telling myself for a long time. And what she, what she really helped reflect back to me, she was like, I think you just have a deep commitment to your authenticity, you know, and, and that's not flighty. Like that's a different flavor of commitment, you know? Yeah. So it's like you change your mind maybe more than most people do because they feel like they're not allowed to. And you're like, but it changed. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I think I feel similarly, actually. Yeah. That, that like, I definitely relate to feeling flighty for a Mm -hmm. similar reason that I just always gave myself permission to change my mind. And I think that's something that's really hard to do for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's like this perfectionism that shows up in like this, like follow your intuition sort of space where it's like, know what your intuition is, don't get it wrong, follow Mm -hmm. it. And that's it. Whereas like, giving yourself permission to change your mind. I mean, that's what a beautiful gift to yourself. Totally. So in my view, and I don't want to be prescriptive here about like giving up self-abandonment is the right choice because we've already covered that that's not necessarily the case. And it's a lot more nuanced than that. But if someone were attempting to exit self-abandonment in a particular area, my feeling is that there are two big stages to that. The first one is the knowing. It's like the learning how to listen, the knowing and naming, the really recognizing that truth, which is its own skill set that a lot of people struggle with, especially folks with body image issues. And then the second piece is bringing that out into into the world, expressing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like in your experience with clients or wherever, like, which is harder? Do you see this being? I mean, I think um, certainly depends on the person. Yeah. Um, I personally can sit with a knowing for a long time before mm-hmm. I share it. <laughs> you know, I think it depends, it depends on the person, but I think all those fears that we named are the reasons that people tell tend to self-abandon. Yeah. Um, those fears come forward more when we're talking about action with that. Right. So courage is probably the biggest tool that I use with clients when taking that second step, Mm -hmm. like calling upon courage over comfort in order to take your knowing into the world. But in, in terms of just getting to know it in the first place, I think it's a lot more complex and I know like embodiment work and everything that that entails, learning how to listen to the body, learning how to tune into the sensations and wisdom in your body, learning how to listen to your, your soul hunger and your, your needs and all those things. I feel like that requires kind of an arsenal of tools. Mm -hmm. Whereas the second one, you know, it might take some game planning, Mm -hmm. but ultimately it's, it's mostly just courage over comfort at that point. If you want to take that step. Yeah. That's a really good way to lay it out. It's like, it's going to take some tools to get to that knowing a hundred percent. And oftentimes like I'm shocked when I ask people the question of like, if, 
if you want to, if, what do you want someone to give you permission to do? Right. And I'm shocked with how easily sometimes people have that answer. So yes, it requires this arsenal of tools, but Mm. also sometimes it's so readily available, but then it's like, but I can't do that. And then we're, we're back to the Uh arsenal of tools. Ooh, that's super interesting. Yeah. Definitely see Mm -hmm. that. So tell me what the point of all this is. If someone who is, you know, sort of habitually self-abandoning is sitting there listening to this and being like, cool, what do I get on the other side? This sounds really hard and scary. <laughs> what, what am I doing it for? What would you say the benefit or the, the other side looks like? I mean, like your life. Like I, was, more. I, was thinking, I was thinking about that. I know we had talked about that earlier because I, I loved that question. I'm like, yeah, what is the point of all this? I mean, you, it's, as Mary Oliver says, like, it's your one wild and precious life. Like it's yours, it's yours. And I think the freedom, the joy, the, I don't know, like the, the true genuine connections that I've gained through doing this work, it's, I mean, that's irreplaceable. And you get to, it's the autonomy thing. Like you get to live your life however you want to live it. And you can live it according to societal rules if that is what you so desire. Um, But like, what the hell else are you doing? You know, like, like, to me, I think I, again, as my friend was helping me name, like I have such a deep commitment to authenticity of like truly getting to know myself in whatever way that looks. Um, and I just think the freedom that you experience, um, you can't really describe it. It's one of those yeah. things you just have to experience. So you're naming like this existential benefit that I love and is definitely mm-hmm. the hardest to describe. It's like the empowerment, the agency, the the just sort of lack of constant mental chatter about doing things wrong or whatever. Like there's so much about it that is sort of this intangible way of basically just saying, I choose to live this life, this one life for me. And then there's also the more tangible stuff, which I think is also really like important to, to recognize, which is like, if you are self-abandoning to fit in because you crave connection and belonging, any connection and belonging you're offered is going to be pretty hollow. It's not really going to land with you. It's not really going to actually meet the need or scratch the itch for connection or belonging because the person that they're connecting with and praising and loving and choosing isn't you. And so I also feel like sometimes when I work with clients around this, I'm like, you don't even necessarily have to connect to the existential thing to recognize that your plan will never work. If your goal is to get your needs met in the world, you can't necessarily get them met without being you because all the things that we're talking about here, like we have a human need to be seen and you won't be seen under these circumstances Yeah, to be understood, to be genuinely, you know, appreciated for who we are. And all of those things are literally impossible. You can get little bits of it. You can get little snacks of validation and whatever, and that can feel good, but it's not the same. Those needs will just be chronically unmet. Yeah. I, I had a couple of thoughts when you were talking. Mm-hmm. One was like, when I first really started healing my body and like stopped dieting, it felt like I got off this merry-go-round sort of thing. And I remember having this feeling of like, you guys, like, this is way better. Come over here, you know? And it's, I think it's that sort of knowing if you don't really know what it's like off mm-hmm. the ride until you step off the ride. Mm-hmm. And I remember having this feeling of, I, I want everyone to experience this. Like everyone deserves to experience this. Yeah. So that, that came to mind. The other more tangible thing that came to mind is like, I think things get a lot less sticky. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the more, the more healing work I've done for myself, the less um, triggered or hung up on other people's shit I get, yeah. you know, like I'm, I think I used to just, if a conversation went, didn't go the way I thought it should, or someone was doing something I was really judging. I mean, I would just analyze 
the mm. shit out of everything. And things feel a lot less sticky to me now. I and like that's that. it. I mean, who doesn't want to live that way? Yeah. Cause I like, I like that way of putting it. Cause it's like, you could say it reduces anxiety and I think it does, but things feeling less sticky is like, Ooh, that's what it is. Like that is mm -hmm. so what it is. And also just, I would say, you know, it, looking at my before and after, like when I was mostly self-abandoning um, in my younger days to now, I can also say that I just felt really confused a lot. Like I just never knew what to do. You know, everything was like this big drawn out intellectual weighing of pros and cons because I didn't have the access to myself to say, here's what I want. And so it also just like streamlines the process of being a human in a way that is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you trust yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's you and you. And so of course you want to be able to trust yourself. Yeah. So I did want to tell a story um, on the idea that like, I think is so important to, to really drive home here is that self-abandoning can be a healthy and valid choice. And we want you, we want everyone to have the ability to make it consciously and intentionally not from that place of like shame and obligation and whatever, right? Um, so I once worked with a woman who uh, we got into the body image stuff and, and I'm always like pointing people towards the deeper reason why they're, you know, obsessing over their bodies. And we pretty quickly realized that she um, had a lot that she was repressing about her marriage. And essentially that little voice was in there saying, I don't want to be married, but they had two little, little kids. And she she quit coaching. We had this conversation and I refunded her her money because she said, I am not willing to get divorced until they're older. And so this one's going to stay hidden from me. And it was such, such a beautiful, painful, horrible, right? But also beautiful example of conscious self-abandonment. It was mm -hmm. not going to happen. And she did not want to go unpacking that box because it was so clear to her that the priority at that moment was something else. And I just feel like we can talk about authenticity and self-expression and all these things all day and also recognize that there are times where like, you know, you come home from a super stressful day and you're like, instead of making myself a nice meal and like meditating, I'm going to like order junk food and drink a bottle of wine. Like there are times where you make the choice that seems worthy of judgment, but it isn't because it's conscious and you can have so much more compassion for yourself in that moment. Like, Oh, I see. That's not something I can tolerate today. Mm -hmm. I'm out. And mm -hmm. from that place, it's also like all the shame can't live all the self-criticism and judgment and feelings of like, what's wrong with me? Why do I make these choices is gone. And you just say today, I choose to self-abandon and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's right. Like it can be a choice in a moment can we choose a choice over a period of time? Yeah. You know, like, I'm glad you shared that story of like, we're human, yeah. <laughs> you know, like we're human living in a deeply complicated world. And I just, the compassion piece is so important. Yeah. So lastly, what do you want the world to know? What do you want the listener to take away from this episode? Uh, what do I want the listener to take away? Um, I just think... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No pressure. Put it into yeah, put it 25 into words sentence. or less. <laughs> uh, like just stop looking outside of yourself for yourself. I think Woo! that's the big, that's good takeaway. All right. Well, I loved that. Um, okay. So before we wrap up, I wanted to hear about the queer somatic therapist led running group you're doing. Talk about yes. that. Yes. Okay. I'm so excited about this. So um, I don't have an official start date, but I think by the time that this episode airs, people will be able to sign up. But I'm leading um, a running processing group called Queer Souls, but Souls is S-O-L-E-S. -E and Ooh. it is for, yes, I know, Love <laughs> some it. great wordplay. Um, but it's for people that identify as queer, like allies, we love you. You can sit this one out. Identify oh. as queer or under the trans um, or non-binary umbrella um, 
and are curious about running. Um, maybe they've tried it in the past, but haven't enjoyed it. Um, and they want to use running, really curious, compassionate running as a tool for processing emotions. So the running group is gonna have some really gentle programming for people that wanna try out running, building up to um, a 5K or a 3.1 run, mile run, um, and then weekly groups to process and unpack emotions and use running as a somatic tool. So I'm pumped. So cool. Is this online or in Nashville? It's virtual. It's virtual. So oh, everything okay, cool. will be done virtually. That sounds mm-hmm. so fun. I love that. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah. Anywhere so- on the internets. Anywhere on the internet. So um, my website is just my full name, amygartenberg.com. Same with my Instagram is just at amygartenberg. And that's really, those are the places I am. I'm not anywhere else right now. Okay, Mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for joining. Um, Everyone, you know where to find me, jessineeland.com or at jessineeland on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagrams. And um, thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you next week.